Morning. How's everyone today? Yeah, that good? Let me, let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word today. We pray that you would be with us and help us to worship you as you deserve in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to do something a little different, at least different than I've done before, which is I just want to tell you a story from the Bible. I'm going to tell you the story of King Josiah. King Josiah uh, is not the best known king in the Bible. That would be King David, right? Yeah, of course. But King Josiah was pretty cool. King Josiah was a king. He was the last good king that Israel ever had. And he lived in a time of total spiritual ruin and decay uh, and oncoming disaster. And by disaster, I mean God's judgment, which was coming fast. And he was a true worshiper of God. And that makes him an example to us because we need every bit of help we can get to worship God, don't we? We need it. We need good examples. His story hit me particularly hard the other week when I was reading it. And I think it's because you're watching this sort of torch burn when you watch Josiah's life. And it's a torch of love for God, love for his people, and it burns really bright, and it's the last torch that burns before all the lights go out. That's how it feels when you read his story. So it really got me. And I was also thinking to myself, well, Israel, at the time that this guy reigned, was in a bad place, just a bad place spiritually, full of idolatry and ruin and a lot of evil. America seems to be in a pretty bad place right now. We know that God's judgment comes. We know that it comes to nations that oppose him and that won't serve him. We don't know when it comes. We don't know when, but we know that it comes. So I was thinking of that too. And he was a man and a leader who worshiped God and led other people to God when things were really bad and they looked bad. So let me set the stage really briefly, as briefly as I can for King Josiah, okay? About 350 years before we get to Josiah, the very first king of Israel is anointed. The first king, which is Saul. Good king, bad king? No, two, two thumbs down for Saul. Um, Saul. Saul rebelled against God. Saul would not worship God. Saul, Saul would not serve God. And God said, Saul, you're done. I'm anointing another king in your place. This king will be a man after my own heart. And that was that was David. That was David. David, good king, bad king? Good. Two thumbs up. Perfect king, imperfect king. <laughs> Very imperfect. Uh, thumbs down for perfection with David. Lots of, lots of evil stuff. But David was a man after God's own heart. He truly worshipped God. He wrote the book of the book of Psalms. And so more than any other single figure in the Bible, David is the one who gives us the words to pray to God, the words to sing to God. He gives us the vocabulary. That's David, a true worshiper of God. All right, he went through a lot to become king. You, you know David and Goliath. You should read the rest of his story sometime. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's long. First and second Samuel, that's where you go. And eventually God blesses him with military victory and wealth and power and all kinds of stuff. And then the son of David was... Yeah, the son of David who would sit on the throne... David had a bunch of sons. Solomon. Solomon. All right. Good king, bad king. Good. 
Huh? Huh? All right. Well, he starts good. He starts good. Solomon, the wisest, the richest, the most powerful king that Israel ever had, bar none. Crazy how much money he had. Crazy how wise he was. Crazy how strong and secure, you know, military-wise, the kingdom was. Wild. Solomon had a lot, of, a lot of things. One thing he had a lot of was wives. He had a thousand wives. Literally, a thousand wives. And these wives worshipped various gods. And eventually, Solomon did too. It's good to have a good wife who helps you worship God. But Solomon didn't have that, and he became a worshiper of false gods. He became an idolater. His heart turned away from God, and uh, some of us would argue that there's evidence he repented at the end of his life. I think maybe so. I hope so. I would say we don't know 100%. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, which we've studied a lot as a church, and so more than any other single individual in the Bible, Solomon teaches us wisdom, how to live with skill and godliness. Solomon's legacy is mixed, very mixed, even though Solomon got a special privilege that no other king got, and that was to build the temple of God. The temple. The temple. No one, none of us understands how exciting this was. We don't. It's hard to enter in. But the temple was the place where you went to worship God. It was the place. God said, you can't worship me in the land of Assyria. You can't worship me in the land of Babylon. You have to go to Israel. You have to go to the city of Jerusalem. You have to go to this special house where I am. That's where you come and you offer sacrifices to me. This is the place where you must come. I don't accept worship any other place. Now, we worship God with our lives, right? Like every day is worship. Everything's supposed to be worship, right? You guys heard that, everything. But there's also a, a special sense in which one special thing is worship, and that's to go to God's temple. That's to go to God's temple. You offer sacrifices, and you sacrifice animals for your sins, right? And that's where you knew, like, God and I are okay. God provided so that I could be forgiven. I got to go to the temple. I got to meet with God. My sins are forgiven. This is, this is the excitement of Israel, which is it's hard for us to understand, but we need to learn this and feel it. And you would think that the guy who got the privilege of building the temple would be the, like, the top worshiper, of all the kings, right? But he turned away from God anyway. And God dealt with Solomon for his sins, his sins of idolatry, worshiping fake gods. And he said, Solomon, your son is going to have the kingdom torn from him. Well, a piece of it anyway, a big piece. It's going to be torn in two and divided when he reigns. And it's not long after Solomon dies and his son who's no good. No good. Rehoboam. Rehoboam gets the kingdom torn from him. It's torn in two pieces. Two pieces are not equally sized. <laughs> the piece that Rehoboam keeps, it, how, how many tribes were there in Israel? Twelve. Twelve disciples, twelve tribes. Right. Uh, Rehoboam keeps, keeps two. He keeps the tribe of Judah, and he keeps the tribe of Benjamin, which is piddly squat. Benjamin's tiny. It's like nothing. The other ten form their own kingdom. That we, that's the northern part of Israel, the land of Israel. And we call it the kingdom of Israel, or just Israel, which can be a little confusing. And we call the kingdom that Rehoboam kept the kingdom of Judah, or just Judah. So now, you, instead of a united kingdom, you've got Judah and you've got Israel. 
And as they split, the first king of Israel, whose name is Jeroboam, he instantly, just about, says, well, we can't have people, my, my, my citizens aren't going down to Jerusalem because the kingdom of Judah kept Jerusalem. They kept the temple. They had the true worship of God. And he's like, no, no, no. We can't have my people going down there. They're not going to worship the true God. They're not going to worship Yahweh. Yeah, I got it. I'm going to make a couple of gods right now. And now you can come and worship here. And now there's no chance of like political compromise. I'm not going to lose some of my citizens to Judah because they can be right here. They can worship the gods that I made. And there are no good kings in Israel, not for hundreds of years. They're zero. Nineteen kings, zero good kings. And that's Israel. But Judah keeps the temple, and that means there's a handful, just a handful of good kings. Kings who actually worship God. They have the true place of worship, the temple. And that keeps them, to some extent, more aware of God. (laughs) And some of them really follow him. And so, by the time of Josiah, God had already judged the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. He had already judged them for their sins. He sent a nasty, aggressive foreign power to wipe them off the map. And it did. That was Assyria. Assyria took it over. They were empire building. And that was that. There's no more Israel anymore. There's just Judah by Josiah's time because he's at the end of the line. And God's been warning Judah again and again and again, coming for you. You're not going to be my people. You will not worship me. Coming for you. I'm warning you. So the year's about 639 A.D. Josiah's grandfather, an incredibly evil king named Manasseh, died when he was six years old. Manasseh actually repented, which is wild. Manasseh, more than anyone else, pushed God's patience to the limit and then passed the limit with the amount of evil that he did and that he taught his people to do. Manasseh was a bad dude, and then at the end of his life, he repents. (laughs) It's amazing. So that happens when Josiah 6, his granddad dies, his dad steps onto the throne, his dad's name is Amon. Amon, garbage, as far as kings go, just garbage. Amon has no interest in following God. Amon lasts two years. He dies. I think there's an, there's an assassination plot to kill him. <laughs> All right, let's put your son on the throne, Amon. Josiah is eight years old when he begins to reign. And that's where our story begins. So this is Second Chronicles 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he, when he began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, and the carved and the metal images. Let's do some basic math here. Josiah starts reigning at age eight, He gets to the eighth year of his reign. He's how old? He's a 16-year-old boy. And that's what it says. While he was yet a boy. Well, if any spark ever lived inside eight-year-old Josiah, maybe he saw his grandfather repent. Even as a little kid, sometimes things stick with you. I don't know. It doesn't say. 
Well, by the time he's 16, that spark has become something real, a real fire inside his heart, and he's going to follow God. He starts seeking God in earnest. 16-year-old boy. And it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're 8, if you're 16, even if you're 13. I don't care. You can be a worshiper of God. Does anyone here... Do we have any 8-year-olds right now? Anyone? 9-year-olds. Ah, there's one. All right. Can an 8-year-old, can a 9-year-old worship God? Can a nine-year-old help her family worship God? Can she be a good influence on her family? Nine years old. Can you do that? You can. Yeah. Josiah got, had a lot of influence. He was a king. But you moms, you dads, school teachers, bosses, employees, students, you have influence in your life. You have people working for you. You have kids God's given you to raise. You have people who look up to you. You have bosses who like you. You are a worshiper of God. And God calls you to use everything you have to be a light, to be a burning light, like Josiah. He just used what he had. In his case, he was a king, and you're not. But you have something, a lot of things. We all do. A lot of ways we can shine our light. So, whoever you are, what was your heart like towards God? That's the question today. Josiah's heart, it was straight and true. And he starts clearing the land of idols. That's his, that's his deal. He's like, I see this false worship all around. I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to stop it as much as I can. I'm going to switch to the account of his life that's in the book of Kings because there's parallel accounts. If you're, if you're really paying attention, you're going to notice that I go from chapter 23 to chapter 22. Some of you, you'll be like, what is happening? It's because the writer switches the order of chronology to make a point. The order of events, biblical writers do that. So I switched it back. All right, 2 Kings 23, verse 4. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. So what's going on? This is the temple, right? The special place where you worship God? What's it full of? Idols to other gods. A statue for Baal. A statue for Asherah. There's a lot of gods in the peoples all around Israel and Judah. Lots. And they've infiltrated. And they're even inside the temple. They're inside the literal building that's holy to God, the most holy place to God. There they are. And so Josiah's like, get them out of the temple. <laughs> Let's have some true worship here. Get them out. He burns them. There's, there's idols to the hosts of heaven, sun, moon, stars. There's worship of that stuff going on, sun worshipers. It's just a thing. Take your pick. Have any god you want. Maybe not the true god, but any other god you want, you can find them. Go into God's temple. There's all the idols. Verse 5, And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. 
doesn't sell it to Goodwill, or donate it to Goodwill for someone else to find. It just burns it. This is worthless. This is evil. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. So wait, what? Male prostitutes inside the temple in Israel? Look, suffice to say, this is pagan religion. It involves sex. It involves prostitutes. It, it does today. It actually hasn't changed. And there it was, right in the heart of the temple, which seems a little crazy. How much more evil can you get? Well, how many of y'all know churches where there's been sexual sin that's been hidden and covered up for years, even by the leadership? You might have heard Jake's story of his former youth pastor who was preying on the girls in his youth group under, under, under the name of God, doing God's work. I'm hiding the evil. That happens, doesn't it? It happens in churches. Well, same thing here. Same thing here. This is happening in the temple. Verse 8. And he brought out all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. There's a lot of detail in here, but let's just ask, what are these high places? What are high places? They're all over this passage. Well, they're places that are high. <laughs> you go up onto a hill, a mountain, you worship God, you worship the gods. Why? Because they're up there. So you go, you go up. We have pyramids, high places. The Incas built them, the Egyptians built them. You go up. There's holy places on mountains in Tibet. Because you go up, you go to the high place. That's where you worship God or the gods, whoever you want. And God said to his people, no, that is the thing that's done among people who don't know me. It's not what you're going to do. I'm not going to accept it if you go sacrifice up there. You, you want to come and worship me, you come to my temple. You be a true worshiper of mine. You don't just go where you want. You don't just build what you want. Today, you know what, there are people who think being out in nature Maybe even being up on top of a high mountain is the best place to be spiritual and to find God. The best place. I'm, I'm all for finding God in nature. Really. Because nature is shouting God's name. It's glory, it's worshiping God. And we should too. But the place where you go, if you want to go find God, you come to God's people. You worship God on a Sunday morning. I got news for you, this gym does not have a lot of natural beauty. I'm not inspired by our surroundings, a mountain is a lot more inspiring. But God is not impressed when we refuse to seek him where he is to be found, which is with God's people on Sunday morning worship. All right, and that's what Bart preached to us last week. Go to church. That's right. Verse 10, and he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. Again, how bad can things be in Israel? They're as bad as they can be, or just about. Go sacrifice your child to a false god. It's just the thing that you can do. Go burn them. America today is full of child sacrifice. So is Israel. Verse 11, And he removed 
the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. Again, sun-worshiping kings. At the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Verse 12, And the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh, grandfather, his grandfather, had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down, broken pieces, and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. More, 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 more evil things, more false gods. It's like, it's like you walk into this gym and everywhere you're kicking over a statue of Buddha or something. It's like how many things are there in this one building that are evil and that are the opposite of actually worshiping God? Let's cram it as full as we can. And they had over hundreds of years. They filled it with evil. Josiah is cleaning up a mess that's hundreds of years old. 13, and the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. These are just more gods. They're gross. You could read about them. Archaeologists find their ruins, you know, their stuff. They're gross. Evil stuff. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the asherim and filled their places with the bones of men. Sounds like he wanted to make a statement. Worshiping these things leads you to death. Let's put some bones in these so-called holy places so people get the idea. This is not a place of worship. This is a graveyard. And you caught that, right? Who built these high places? Solomon. Solomon's leadership left a big mark in more ways than one. Verse 15, moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Jeroboam was the first king of Israel, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place, he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be. Let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. That's a reference to a whole other story, 1 Kings 13, where a prophet predicts Josiah by name, there will be a king called Josiah. He's going to come. He's going to tear down this false worship. He's going to tear down the altar. He's going to burn bones on it. God predicts that. Josiah comes along and does it. Verse 19, And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. Now, this is kind of interesting. Do you guys, does anyone here, is anyone a Bible geography type person? Do you know where Samaria is? You know what Samaria is? Is it inside Josiah's kingdom? Does anyone know that? It's not. No. It was part, it was the capital city of the northern kingdom, which is now like, it's gone. Josiah is not even staying inside his own territory. <laughs> He's out and about He's in the former kingdom of Israel, which is owned by an aggressive world power. He's like, this territory belongs to God too. 
These are God's people still living in this ruined land. I'm not going to let false worship take place here. If I have anything to do with it, I'll go knock down everything inside Israel too. I'm going to knock it down. Verse 20, this is (laughs) the last thing he does right now. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. (laughs) Then he returned to Jerusalem. Oh, are you a priest up here? You've been leading people to, to worship these things instead of God? I'm going to sacrifice you on your own altar. You're done. You're done. Then I'm going home. I'm going home because I did every single thing that I could think of. I tore down every single idol that I could see. I'm going home. I mean, this passage, it just kept going and going, right? It just kept going and going. How many more idols are there for this guy to tear down? How many more false priests are there for him to shut down? Well, he's just going to find all of them (laughs) that he can. Hey, Josiah, maybe like leave some for the next generation or something, huh? You know? You ever clean out your garage and you work for a few hours You rearrange some stuff, you throw some stuff away, you look at those old cans of paint and chemicals and you're like, that is a pain, I have to drive those to the waste site, it's 15 minutes away, I'll do that another time. And you're like, you look up at the loft, if you have one of those, and you know that the previous homeowner left random garbage up in the loft. And you could look at it and throw it away, but you're like, I have to get a ladder, there's spiders up there, and that's, that's good, I've worked for... Three hours today. We'll say four. Worked for four hours today. And I did a pretty good job. I swept. Things are a little better. Imagine if it's Josiah cleaning your garage. Of course he's going up to the loft. (laughs) Of course he's driving out to the waste site. When Josiah is done with your garage, even if it takes him 13 hours, it's going to be clean. It's going to be clean, and that's his attitude. How lazy are we as worshipers of God? How lazy and how easily discouraged. How easily discouraged. Are you dealing with any sin in your life or your family's life? Maybe a sin that you inherited from your family, so to speak. And you're like, man, this is going to take years to clean up. (gasps) Oh, man. I just, I mean, I'm trying, but I just don't know if I have the stomach to every single day get up and address my fill-in-the-blank, my bitterness, my lust, my let's say it's money. No one here has sins with money, so this is, this is a safe one. So let's say it's money. You have bad habits. You have, maybe you're greedy. I don't know. Maybe you're just insecure about money. Maybe you don't want to let your wife have anything to do with the budget, and you clutch it close because that's how you control things in the marriage. I don't know what it is. Letting go of that stuff is hard. That stuff can run deep. It's not just about knowing how to make a budget. It's about giving sins and fears and anxieties to God. It can take years to improve that kind of thing. And what Josiah just did took years. It took, I had a note somewhere, but I want to say six years if my memory is right. It took at least six years of his life to go through the land, visiting site after site. Cut it down, cut it down. You're dead. (laughs) You're going to (laughs) stop. You're going back home. 
burn some bones on those altars. We're going to worship God. I'm going to do everything I can so that the people under me have an example of what it means to worship God. Everything. He loved God. Okay, what's next, King Josiah? You did that. What's next? Next thing he does is repair the temple. So he cleaned it out, but the, the wood is rotting, and the stonework is coming apart. The curtains are threadbare. I don't know. Josiah starts. So now we're back in 2 Kings 22, verse 3. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, the temple, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people, and let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. Let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. If you want to know what it means to repair the temple today, because how does that apply to you and me? Is there a temple today in the land of Israel? It's gone. It's gone. There's no temple in the land of Israel. So how are we supposed to repair this? What took the place of the physical temple? We did. The church, capital C Church. We are God's temple. God's people, the body of Christ, is his temple. It's the place he lives So how do you repair the temple? Well, here you are today. We're worshiping the Lord together. And that's actually part of repairing the temple. Learning to worship God together. Learning to love each other. Listening to the word of God preached. Taking the Lord's Supper. Giving your time. Giving your money. Giving your love. Giving your prayers to this church. To a local church, but you're in this one right now. That's repairing the temple. As God gives us grace, we become holier together because God works through the little things that we do for each other, even the things that are sort of small. How are you doing today? Oh, by the way, I uh, I was praying for your aunt. Okay, that is repairing the temple. And all of us have a responsibility to do it and to build the house of God, which is people. People. Not a building, but people. Now, as Josiah's men are repairing the temple, they discover a thing that had been lost. I don't know how long this thing was lost. It's not the kind of thing you're supposed to lose. Nothing's the kind of thing you're supposed to lose, but especially this thing. Verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. He read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, which was a sign of anguish, a sign of grief. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, 
and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. This is like after we come into the gym and we kick down all the statues of Buddha and we sweep them outside. We're like, this place needs some work. You go work on the HVAC system and someone goes down to the basement or wherever that is and they're working on it and they're like, what's that cardboard box? Clear away the cobwebs. There's a book in there. Holy Bible. Oh, I've heard of that. That's like a Christian thing. We should probably read this. This is an important thing. Churches used to have these. Holy Bible. So start reading it. You take it to the guy in charge, the pastor, maybe it's me. And you start reading me the Bible. I'm like, oh, Holy Bible. Yeah, I've heard of that. And I'm like, whoa, we have some problems. We're not, we haven't been following this. Let me tell you. We're, we're pretty ignorant of a lot of things that are in here. And I think we're in a bad position. This is the point in the story where Josiah realizes where he is in the story. Because the book of the law, the book of the law is specifically all the laws that God gave to Moses, you know, on Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, but a whole lot more. And when God gives that law, he tells the people, here's everything that will happen if you keep the law. Here's all the blessings. And here's all the curses. You don't keep this law, and you, you won't turn back to me and be my worshipers, here's what I'm going to do. And Josiah is like, I think we're way over on the curse side. I think we've been over on the curse side for hundreds of years. Someone needs to go ask God, where are we? Because this looks really bad. And he's right. So he sends his guys. He sends his guys to a prophet, actually to a prophetess. Verse 14 so Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Asiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. It's too late. It's too late. Josiah is awesome. He's awesome. It's too late. doesn't matter. But that's not totally true, is it? Because 
It matters to Josiah and it matters to all the people that he loves. It matters to the people of God right then that he worships God and that he's going to lead them to worship God. It matters very much. And Josiah does show us what a true worshiper of God looks like. You ever hear something scary in the Bible and you're like, maybe if I ignore that it will go away. <laughs> or, or you think, well, oh well, I already sinned that sin and so oh well. Or you think, well, my parents, they were, they're bad, bad parents. And so that's why I'm like this and so let's just forget about that. Josiah just tears his clothes. He's just sorry. And he's not, I don't even know that he's primarily sorry for himself. He's thinking of everyone that he loves and cares about. He's thinking of his family. He's thinking of his people. And he wants something better. He loves them. And that's what a worshiper of God looks like. They humble themselves when they hear God talk about sin and they love other people. They worry about other people's sins. Who do you pray for here? Who do you look at and think, I think something's going on. I don't really know what to say, but at least I could pray. You ever look at your sons or daughters and you, you're grieved because you see your sin in them. That's good. That's love. Take that to God. And so Josiah gets this news. What's his response? I wonder what my response would have been. Well, it's, we're done anyway. Whatever I do, it's over for Israel. So maybe I've done enough. Maybe I've done enough. God's not going to not wipe us off the map because of me. Josiah doubles down. Back to chapter 23, verse 21. The king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. This is the biggest Jewish religious feast. We celebrate sort of the new Passover, which is the Lord's Supper. But this was a seven-day feast, the Passover. This is a giant affair. You invited everyone. Everyone came from the whole land. It's a big deal. And it says that no king had ever done such a good job celebrating it. No king. Not even David, not even Solomon, with all their wealth and power. Josiah is the one. He's just, he's just on fire. So he invites everyone. And we're almost done. Not quite. Almost done. Verse 24, Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Well, I, how much better can you get than that? There's no king like him. Not David, not Solomon, not anyone. There's no king like this guy. This guy was the best, basically. The best, which is crazy. And it says in the book of Second Chronicles, a little extra detail is that while he was alive, while he was on the throne, everyone in the land worshipped God. Not just in Judah, but in the kingdom of Israel. In, in the conquered kingdom, people, people were inspired by this guy. They loved God while he was alive. They did 
what God wanted. Well, he was alive because he was there to lead. Well, God didn't change his mind. So we come to the end. Verse 26. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house, the temple, of which I had said, my name shall be there. And the end of Josiah's story is not exactly inspiring. (laughs) Here's the very end of his story. Verse 28. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Jehoiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. Whatever you do, you will die. And you and I, as followers of Christ, we have the opportunity to have a good and honorable death to spend our lives well. But you know who didn't have a particularly honorable death or a good death? Josiah! There's no reason for him to go fight the king of Egypt. There's none. In the Chronicles version, it makes it even clearer. There's no reason. This is dumb. (laughs) This is stupid. Josiah's just like, I want to fight that guy. The king of Egypt even sends him a message. Hey, king of Judah, I'm not at war with you. I'm at war with this other guy. Don't bother me. Josiah's like, I'm going to get him. What? And he loses. (laughs) He does something stupid, and he pays for it with his life. Ack, the end. Bye, King Josiah. Now, everyone mourns his death. I mean, you can imagine, right? It's brutal. It's a national tragedy. It's horrible. But it's so dumb. And then, what's the rest of the story of the land of Judah? Well, in about 20 years, Babylon comes in and wipes them off the map. But before that, you have to sit through four more kings, three sons of Josiah, one grandson of Josiah. They're all horrible. They are worthless kings. They hate God. They will not worship God. They're, they're terrible. And then it's all the lights go out. And that's it. Is that inspiring? <laughs> There's no Josiah the second. There's no Josiah the second. Every time I read this, you ever yell at your favorite character in the TV show or the movie? Don't do that! Don't go in there! You're going to die! You can't stop them because it's already it's too late. <laughs> they, they die. <laughs> you know, I feel like that when I read this story. Don't, Josiah! Like, this is so stupid. <laughs> Why would you do that? Uh, and then you can't stop the people. The people, after he dies, burp, turn back the clock to the idols. Right back. It's just ridiculous. And that's the end of the kings of God's people until you get to the king. The king. The king. Jesus. Josiah is arguably the best king Israel ever had. I think the text just says he was, in some sense. 
not the strongest, not the most powerful, but the best, spiritually. And he's just a sinner. (laughs) He's just a guy who makes dumb decisions like you and me. He's not the guy who can save God's people. Can't do it. But we do have a king who is that guy. We do have a king. We follow that king. We know the true king. The true king is alive. Every time I read this story, I won't just say I had just to live. Nope. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. We are his worshipers. We are his worshipers, and you and I can be like Josiah. We can imitate him. We can imitate him knowing that the king that we serve has a kingdom that is not going to be wiped off the map. The lights aren't going to go out on the kingdom of God. No matter what happens in America or where we are in the story of what God is going to do with our nation, which we don't know, we don't have a prophetess, but we can be God's worshipers. Let me pray. Father, please teach us to worship you. Truly, help us to give our hearts and our lives to you. Help us to be like Josiah. Thank you for his example. Help us to love the people that we are responsible for and do all we can to lead them to love and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.